Hello and welcome to the Earth Rangers podcast. I'm Earth Ranger Emma, and today I have something special for you science buffs out there. If you've missed any of my Chemistry Corner features, worry no more. Today we are presenting all five episodes back to back. Welcome to the Environmental Chemist Training Workshop. animal encounter stories we received. As you may know, the story contest just closed on December 15th, and I wanted to make sure I listened to all the amazing submissions before we announce the winner in the next episode. They are all so good. Don't worry, I'll play as many clips as possible throughout today's episode. But for now, let's begin. This is the Environmental Chemist Training Workshop, brought to you with help from our friends at VASF. And we are going to be doing some experiments, so make sure you use this chance to follow along at home. I'll put all the instructions on the show notes at www.earthrangers.com podcast. Oh, and make sure to share pictures of your results with hashtag Emma's Chemistry. Okay, lab coats on, here we go. Okay. So you already know that it's my passion to learn all about animals and to unlock the mysteries of nature. A lot of what we talk about is considered zoology and biology. But there is another nature science that we haven't really focused on all that much. And I think it's high time we change that. Because we can use this field of science to help the environment and save the planet. And that's exactly what Earth Rangers do. I'm talking about chemistry. And that's why it's time to present a brand new segment to explore the secrets and wonders of chemistry. It's time for Emma's Chemistry Corner. It's Emma's Chemistry Corner. All right, welcome to my lab. I'm so excited. I've already got some Bunsen burners going and my first experiment is in full swing. With the help of our friends at BASF, the largest chemical company in the world, we're going to explore some of the cool things you can do with chemistry. And I'll even show you some experiments that real chemists do. Experiments that you can do at home. So let's put on your lab coat and safety goggles and get started. Wait, what? You don't have any? <laughs> no worries. In our at-home experiments, we won't do anything dangerous. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. Oops, never mind that. Maybe every now and then we will need help from a grown-up, but I'll tell you when that happens. Okay, one sec. I gotta check on my experiments real quick. Okay, just gonna move this over here for a few drops. This is gonna be good. Start again. And let's turn it up to 11. Set the timer, and that'll do it. 
I'm making glow-in-the-dark gel to help with my next overnight research excursion. Fingers crossed that it will work. Okay, so let's start with a short introduction to chemistry. Chemistry is the science of matter. And what's matter, you ask? What everything is made of. And I mean everything. What you're sitting on right now and the floor below you, everything you touch, the air that surrounds you, even, even your own body. All of it, absolutely everything, is made of different materials. And these materials, or matter, are made of tiny, tiny, tiny particles called atoms. How tiny? If you were to take one single hair, there could be about two million of the smallest atoms aligned along its width. That's really small. And atoms can bind to other atoms and form something called molecules. Most molecules are also really, really tiny. But the properties of these really tiny particles gives the bigger materials their properties. Properties we can see or feel. How hard or soft something is. Does it feel wet or dry? Even what color it is and how it smells or tastes. So yeah, that's what chemists do. They study these atoms and molecules and think about ways that we can use them to create new materials like medicines to cure diseases or to find cleaner, safer, more efficient and environmentally friendly ways to produce the materials we need. Hey, you know what would be cool? Let's finish today's corner with a small chemistry fun fact. Okay guys, pop quiz. What do diamonds and graphite have in common? Hmm, let's reason through it. One is transparent and shiny, and the other is gray and powdery. Diamonds are really hard, so they can even cut metals. But we use graphite for pencils because it's soft, so it can leave marks on paper. Hmm, so what could they possibly have in common? Well, despite all these differences, diamonds and graphites have much more in common than you think. Do you know what it is? They're actually both made up of the same type of atom, carbon. And both diamonds and graphite are pure forms of carbon, meaning they only contain carbon. What makes them so different is just the way that these tiny atoms are arranged and connected to each other. This really shows how important chemistry is. Both diamonds and graphite are made of the exact same thing, carbon atoms, but tiny differences can completely change how they look or feel. Neat, huh? All right, before we go, I just want to take one sec and check in on my experiment. Let's see. Ew, oh no. It seems that I've created some um, uh, purple goo, I guess. Ugh. Okay, I think next time I'll check in with my friends at BASF beforehand. I know they are experts in all things slimy. Hey, you can even check the show notes for a link to a cool BASF kids lab to learn about tiny things called polymers and make your very own slime. Speaking of next time, in the next chemistry corner, we'll examine how chemistry is related to biology and how some creatures use very unique chemical processes to their advantage. All right. You know, I think it's time for a short break with today's first animal encounter story. Our first story comes from Earth Rangers Evelyn and Elvin. Hello, I'm Earth Ranger Evelyn. Hello, I'm Earth Ranger Elvin. We live in Coquitlam, Canada. Hi, Earth Ranger Emma. 
So, I'm going to tell the story of when our dog saved us. We were in the kitchen playing, me and my brother Alvin. Then, our dog started barking. We looked outside and we saw a huge bear. We called our mom. Then, everyone in the house came. My grandma didn't know that. So she opened the door to go outside and see what was happening. Then our dog raced outside. He chased away the bear and saved us all. That's our animal encounter story. Whoa! All's well that ends well. I must say, I was a little worried there for a second. Encounters between dogs and wildlife can sometimes be dangerous for both sides. Luckily, the bear ran away. But that said, it is better not to let your dog outside when a bear is around. Thank you for this story, Evelyn and Elvin. Okay, let's continue with our chemistry workshop number two. Welcome back to Emma's Chemistry Corner. Okay, last time we talked about chemistry and learned that chemistry is the science of matter. Now, because you listen to this podcast, you probably heard the word biology quite a lot. Biology is the science of everything that's alive, from bacteria so tiny you can't even see them, to the trees in the park, to the giant blue whale in the ocean. But did you know that life couldn't happen without chemistry? It's true. No creature would exist if it wasn't for chemistry. Why is that? Well, because all of the processes that happen inside of all living creatures are actually chemical reactions. And what's a chemical reaction, you might ask? Well, a reaction is when a material changes, usually because it encounters other materials. Ooh, remember the atoms we talked about last time? Hmm? These teeny tiny particles that all matter is made up of? A chemical reaction is when atoms bind to each other to create molecules, or the opposite, when the bonds between atoms break. You can think of it kind of like Lego pieces. Each piece is an atom, and when you put them together, you create a molecule. And the action of putting them together or breaking the molecule apart is called a chemical reaction. So, coming back to why chemistry is so important to life, well, sorry, (laughs) my stomach's making noise. Wait, that's a great idea. You can just think about the food we eat. Digesting it requires many chemical reactions that happen inside your body. But even chewing it requires chemical reactions that happen inside your muscles. And the oxygen you breathe that makes those muscles function? Guess what? You need chemical reactions for the oxygen to get to those muscles. And what's really amazing The coolest thing of all is that many of these reactions are very similar in all living creatures. Doesn't matter if it's a mosquito or an elephant. So in a way, when we look at living creatures, we can imagine that inside them, millions and billions of tiny chemical reactions are happening all the time without ever stopping. That said, there are some living creatures that have taken chemical reactions to the extreme like next level, and they can make unique chemical reactions that other creatures can't. Creatures like chameleons, octopi, and squid can quickly change their skin colors, helping them to hide from predators, hunt, and communicate. Chameleons have these special crystals in their skin, and if they change the way these crystals are arranged, their color changes. Eels and some fish have special organs they use to create strong electric fields like batteries or generators. They use the electricity they make to hunt or defend themselves. 
And just last year, researchers found the strongest electricity generator of all animals. It's a type of eel in the Amazon, and it can generate an electric shock of 860 volts and about one ampere, which is, it's a lot. It's very sappy. It wouldn't cause harm to humans, but it can definitely stun its prey. Ooh, ooh, and then there's this beetle called the Bombardier beetle that, well, when it feels threatened, it creates a chemical reaction in its belly that causes a splash of boiling, smelly liquid to come out of its rear as a defense. Ugh! If you were an insect, you sure wouldn't want to attack this beetle. <laughs> and did you know that some creatures can create light and can actually glow in the dark? For real! This is called bioluminescence. Bio for biology, and luminescence means light, so biological light. I mean, you've probably heard of fireflies. <laughs> they are so magical. But I have a really cool story about glowing bacteria. You heard me right, bacteria. Some of them live inside of squid or fish. Why would they do such a thing? Well, it gives them protection from the outside world. The squid's body becomes their own private habitat. But don't worry, they don't cause any disease. The squid is actually really happy to have them. Why? Well, because these glowing bacteria make the squid glow at night. And why does a squid need to glow, you ask? Good question. You see, these squids hunt for small sea creatures at night. But when the moon shines, they make a shadow on the sea floor so their prey can see their shadow and escapes. But if they have glowing bacteria inside of them, their own shadow disappears because of the glow. So they're actually much less visible and then they can catch their prey. How cool is that? I wish I could glow at night. Is anyone working on that? Okay, those were some really neat examples of cool chemical reactions that give some animals their special powers. And it just goes to show you, to really understand biology, we have to know our chemistry. Next time, we'll talk about one really cool chemical reaction that happens in many creatures, but doesn't happen in any animal. Hmm, wanna guess what it is? <laughs> Stay tuned. Oh, I almost forgot. Next time, we'll do a real chemistry experiment together. Check the show notes for a list of items you'll need. And don't worry, it's all stuff you probably already have at home. So, now you know what atoms, molecules, and chemical reactions are. How cool is that? Let's have another quick break and check out the next animal encounter story. Coming to you from Earth Ranger Henry. Hello, my name is Henry and I saw a cool animal a couple weeks ago. So it all started when me, my family, and friends were walking in the forest of North Carolina. And we stopped to take a break for lunch and then we heard a splash in the distance. And then a couple seconds later, we saw an osprey flying with a fish in its claws. Whoa! An osprey catching a fish! What a magnificent sight to behold! It sounds so exciting, Earth Ranger Henry! Thanks for your story! Alright, on to our next episode of Emma's Chemistry Corner. Welcome back to Emma's Chemistry Corner. <laughs> Welcome back to Emma's Chemistry Corner. Last time we talked about how chemical reactions occur in all living creatures all the time, and how different animals use different chemical reactions. 
But today, I want to talk about one really important chemical reaction that happens in many creatures, but in no animal. Hmm. So, in which creatures does it happen, you ask? Well, in plants and algae, and in some bacteria. That's right. I'm talking about photosynthesis. Photo. Photosynthesis. Synthesis. Photosynthesis. Photo means light, and synthesis means creation. So the word photosynthesis describes the way that plants can use light coming from the sun to create the food they need to grow. Imagine if you could just sit in the sun and get all the energy you needed. Chilling would be eating, and eating would be chilling. It's perfection. Anyways, besides all the foods that plants make by photosynthesis, there's another super important byproduct of this reaction. Do you know what it is? <gasps> it's the oxygen we breathe! Yep. Without photosynthesis, we wouldn't have oxygen, and that would be a problem. So I think it's fair to say that photosynthesis is a really important chemical reaction. So how do plants do it? I mean, like, how do they use light to make the food they need? They have a special molecule in them called chlorophyll, and that's the molecule that gives them the green color we see on leaves. Chloro means green, BT dots. In biology, color molecules are called pigments, and chlorophyll is a type of pigment. With chlorophyll, plants are able to absorb light energy and convert it into chemical energy. Do you want to see chlorophyll? Well, I mean, it's impossible to see molecules because they're so tiny. But today, I'll show you how we can separate the chlorophyll from the other materials in the leaf and check out all the different pigments in the leaf, including chlorophyll. So roll up your sleeves for our first scientific experiment. It's called chromatography. For this experiment, you'll need a coffee filter, a pair of scissors, rubbing alcohol, a jar, a pen or pencil, a bowl with hot water, and different types of leaves. It could be spinach or lettuce. Spinach leaves actually work really well, but really any type of leaf you want is okay. It can also be really cool to compare between the pigment of different types of leaves. If you want to compare between different leaves, you'll need a few jars. One for each type of leaf. Oh, and instead of rubbing alcohol, you can totally use nail polish remover. Also, please ask a grown-up to help you find or handle these materials. You can hit pause right now in order to get them, and don't worry, I'll wait for you here. Waiting for my science buddies to do fun science with chromatography, chromatography. We're gonna find out what's in leaves. Oh, you're back? Okay, do you have everything? Cool, let's begin. Tear the leaves into small pieces, like really small, as small as you can. You can use a kitchen knife, but be careful or ask a grown-up to do it for you. If you want, you can also crush them with your fingers. Put the pieces of leaves in the jar and pour a bit of rubbing alcohol or nail polish remover on top so it will cover them completely. But you don't really need much more than this. And then you close the jar. Carefully put the jar inside a bowl with hot water and let it sit for half an hour. Lift the jar and stir it from time to time. If the water gets cold, you can replace it. Fast forward to the future. After about half an hour, the liquid in the jar should become greenish or even dark green, depending on the type of leaf you're using. Using the scissors, cut a rectangular piece of coffee filter paper. It should be a little longer than the height of the jar and as flat as possible. Wrap the tip of the paper over the pen. You can use tape to hold it in place. 
and place it on top of the jar so only the bottom edge of the paper touches the liquid in the jar. Be careful not to touch the jar wall. And then just let it sit for an hour or two. And you can keep watching it from time to time. Because like every scientific experiment, the results can sometimes be unexpected. The paper should soak the liquid immediately. But after an hour or two, you should start seeing stripes on the paper. All the pigments from the leaf are in the liquid. And when the liquid goes through the coffee filter paper, the pigments get stuck at different spots according to their chemical properties. So after enough time, you should see a few separate stripes on the paper. Each stripe should have a different color. One should be green or yellow, and the other may be orange. You may see other colors too. It just depends on the type of leaf you used. The colors are all different pigments, the color molecules that are inside the leaf. And the green line is chlorophyll, the pigment molecule that plants use for photosynthesis. Phew, this experiment was hard work. But how cool is it to see what things like leaves are made of? And what enables plants to use light in order to make their food? And did you know that real chemists use chromatography experiments like this in their labs all the time? It's true. Chromatography is a really useful method to separate materials from each other if you want to find out what something is made of. So it wasn't just a fun experiment to do, but something that's really useful in chemical research. And I'd even say that once you do this experiment, you're well on your way to becoming chemists yourselves. <laughs> well, next time we'll talk about one of my favorite topics in chemistry. Chemistry and the environment. How to use chemistry to protect the planet like we Earth Rangers do. Oh, and we'll definitely do another experiment. You won't believe the cool thing that we can do with red cabbage. Check out the show notes for all the ingredients you'll need. Our next animal encounter story is from Earth Ranger Amir, and it arrived via email. Here, let me read it to you. It says, hello, Earth Ranger Emma. <laughs> That's me. I have an animal encounter story to tell you today. One night, my dad, my mom, and me were driving back from grabbing food at a restaurant. We were driving next to a field on the way back to our neighborhood when we saw a bunch of furry little creatures scuttling around on the road. They ran into a ditch, and at first we thought they were a bunch of naughty cats on the road. But at further inspection, we saw that it was a family of raccoons? There was a mother, a large raccoon who didn't look so pleased to see us, and there were four youngsters that may be four or five months old and still with their mother. The mother started squeaking and growling, and two of her babies ran back to her while the other two were hunting around for grubs and stuff. It was so cute, and I will never forget it. Bye! <laughs> Baby raccoons are so cute. I'm glad that you let them be and didn't disturb them any further. We need to give wildlife animals their space, especially when we see them with their cubs. Thank you for your story, Earth Ranger Amir. Okay, back to our workshop. Welcome back to Emma's Chemistry Corner. In today's episode, we'll become environmental scientists. Environmental scientists study how we can protect the environment. Many environmental scientists are chemists because chemistry can really help us to understand ecosystems and look for ways to protect them. Chemistry also plays a huge role in creating materials that can help protect the environment, like biodegradable plastics or new kinds of eco-friendly fuels. 
One important thing environmental scientists often do is going to different locations to take samples of the water or soil and measure different properties of them over time. It can tell us how healthy the ecosystem is. Aquatic ecosystems like lakes, swamps, rivers, and oceans are really sensitive to pollution and other changes in the environment. And one of the major threats to aquatic ecosystems is acidity. What's acidity? Well, when something is acidic, it can taste sour, like lemon juice or vinegar. Also, in our stomach, there are really strong acids that help us digest our food. So what's the opposite of acidic then? Well, in chemistry, it's called basic or alkaline. But there's not many alkaline foods we can eat, so it's hard to describe what it should taste like. But good examples of alkaline materials in daily life would be soap, baking soda, and laundry detergent. Maybe you've heard of the term pH before? pH is a measure of if something is acidic or alkaline. A pH of 7 is right in the middle. It's neutral. Any number below 7 is acidic, and any number above 7 is alkaline. What's important is that acidity level is really crucial for the health of aquatic ecosystems. Why? Well, because many aquatic animals like algae, coral, and many other organisms can only live in very specific conditions. So when the water around them is different than what they're used to, they can get sick or die. And when the water in aquatic ecosystems becomes too acidic, many animals that used to live there can't survive. It's true for small lakes and ponds, but also for the oceans. Environmental scientists take water samples from aquatic ecosystems over the years to check how the acidity changes over time. And they do so by using something called an indicator. An indicator is a thing that tells them how acidic or alkaline the water is. And in today's experiment, we're going to do a similar thing. We'll check how acidic or alkaline different materials are using a very special indicator. One that is super high tech and very scientific and it's, ca it's ca cabbage? Red cabbage? Wait a minute, whoa, what? Yes, red, uh, yes, red cabbage, but really? I mean, that's what it says here in my notes, but maybe, maybe it's a mistake. I don't know, you know what? We're just gonna have to try and see. Okay, so, yes, for this experiment, you will need one red cabbage and a big potter bowl that can contain boiling water. We'll also need a few more things, but for now, just focus on the cabbage. Take it out and tear a few leaves off into small pieces with your hands and put it in a big potter bowl. For this part, you'll need a grown-up. Ask them to pour boiling water into the pot and let it stand until the water is purple and cooled down. It can take an hour or so for it to cool, so wait patiently. In the meantime, you can prepare all the other materials you'd like to check. They have to be liquid or water-soluble so you can dissolve them in the water. You'll need a few transparent glasses as well for each of the samples that you want to check. Okay, so... First, you put one teaspoon of each of the materials in a separate glass. And then add cold water to fill it up to the half and then mix. You can leave the teaspoon inside the glass because we'll use it later. Ask a grown-up to help you preparing these glasses with different materials because some of them are not so healthy. I recommend lemon juice, vinegar, salt, egg white, liquid soap, and laundry detergent. You can also test other materials if you'd like. Remember, one teaspoon of each in each separate glass. Add water up to the halfway mark and mix. Just remember to label each glass so you know what you put in it. And be careful that no one drinks it by accident. Just stay close to your experiment. Hey, I'll wait while you prepare everything. But, I mean, you could also pause. 
Wait, 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 experiment, get set up, stuff in glasses, glasses and stuff. Everything ready? Cool. If the water with the cabbage leaves is nice and cold and purple, beautiful, that's great. Use a label to pour some of the purple water, without the leaves, into each of the glasses and fill them up. Then use the teaspoon to mix it and watch the magic happen. You should see the color of the purple water change. If you used vinegar or lemon juice, it should turn pink. If you use laundry detergent, it should become blue or green. And in the salt, liquid soap, and egg white, it should still be purple, but maybe a bit more blue in the glass containing the egg white or the soap. And why is that? Well, remember the acidity? The red cabbage contains a molecule called anthocyanin, and it's a good indicator of acidity, which means that it changes its color according to how acidic or alkaline something is. The lemon juice and vinegar are acidic, so the anthocyanin in the cabbage water becomes pink. The laundry detergent is alkaline, so the anthocyanin becomes blue. And the salt water is neutral, so not acidic or alkaline, so it remains purple. Environmental scientists use acidity indicators like this to examine water samples. It helps them to know if an aquatic ecosystem is healthy or not, so we can understand it better and know how to protect it. But in any case, it's nice to have this rainbow of colors. Ooh, one more thing. Don't forget to clean up your experiment. Every chemist knows the importance of a spotless lab. Stay tuned for our next chemistry corner where we'll talk to a real environmental scientist. Just a small reminder that if you did the at-home experiments and want to share your results with us, just ask your parents to follow Earth Rangers on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and tag the photos with hashtag Emma's Chemistry. I am really excited to see how your experiments turned out. Okay, how about one more story for today? This time from Earth Rangers Anali from Juneau, Alaska. Hi, my name is Earth Rangers Anali. I come from Juneau, Alaska, and my animal encounter was one time. It was at the glacier. We were heading back down the ramp, and on the side of the ramp was a big boulder, like a big stone. And I was like, look, mom, a bear, but mom didn't see it until the mama bear started walking across the ramp with her three cubs. They were big black bears, and the cubs were absolutely adorable. Such a cool story. A family of bears. And they can look like big stones, especially if they don't move that much. And bear cubs are adorable. Thank you, Earth Rangers and Allie. Okay, Rangers, ready for one last round of chemistry fun? Here we go. Welcome back to Emma's Chemistry Corner. Okay, remember last time we took the first step towards becoming environmental scientists? Environmental scientists, as you already know, are people who use science like chemistry in order to better understand our ecosystems and think about new ways to protect them. Kind of similar to what we Earth Rangers do, just with lab coats and safety goggles. Now, after the cool experiments we did in the last two episodes, I started to ask myself, is this actually what real environmental scientists do? To figure it out, I talked to Professor Hind, who is a real chemist and environmental scientist, and she shared some of the secrets of her work with me. Let's jump into the call. I'm speaking with Hind Al-Abadleh. She's a professor at the Wilfrid Laurier University and head of the Environmental Physical and Interfacial Chemistry, or the EPIC Lab. 
Hi, Professor Hind. Thanks for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me, Emma. All right, so I'm usually more of a biology gal, but I just recently discovered my love for chemistry. And now I know I'm just an amateur, but you're the real deal. Can you describe to us what you do? Sure. I built a chemistry lab at Laurier to study chemical reactions in the atmosphere, soil, and water. I teach courses on these subjects and help students get an appreciation for how human activity affects the chemical balance of natural systems. Whoa, that sounds really important. How did you become a chemist? Were you always interested in chemistry? Yeah, I think, you know, my exposure to science came during school through my teachers. I had outstanding science teachers in high school. The chemistry teacher in particular inspired me to write a research paper on the different types of pollution since the Industrial Revolution. I found chemistry to be unique because it explained everything I was curious about. And I remember the chemistry teacher in high school showed us an experiment called dancing spaghetti. Dancing spaghetti? Yeah. So what she did was she brought a very long beaker and she add in it baking powder and vinegar and she broke different spaghetti pieces into smaller ones that can fit and she added a food coloring to the mixture and then we saw the bubbling happens because of the reaction between vinegar and baking soda and then the spaghetti started to float around and she told us yeah this is the dancing spaghetti experiment i was telling you about and it's so it was so much fun to watch <laughs> that's wild <laughs> Can you describe how a chemistry lab looks like? Like, are there a lot of explosions going on? <laughs> um, well, the health and safety of anyone entering a chemistry lab is our top priority. So no, there is no explosions. We have a very strict health and safety protocol before going into a chemistry lab or handling chemicals or starting any reactions. And we have to follow that protocol um, with our most senior person in the room. And that's usually me or another student that I trained. Oh, fair enough. Safety first. <laughs> we talked about chromatography two episodes ago and did an experiment using a coffee filter. Is this the kind of thing that you would really do in the lab? Of course. Chromatography is a powerful separation tool that helps us isolate chemicals in mixtures. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, before we get to the real important stuff, I got a trick question for you. What's the dullest element on the periodic table? Hmm, let me think, let me think. Um, borium. <laughs> you stole my punchline. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting that you mentioned this one because not all elements in the periodic table are found in nature. This element is made in the lab and mostly used for research purposes. And it is actually named after a scientist. Oh, very neat. So let's get into some more serious stuff. What are the ways we can use chemistry to help the environment? Chemistry is the science that helps us make sense of the world we live in at the level of electrons, atoms, and molecules. Through chemistry, we know what chemicals are in the air we breathe and how much. Why a gas like carbon dioxide can trap heat. Through chemistry, you will know how reactions in the atmosphere can transform chemicals. And if these new chemicals would make climate change better or worse. 
also through chemistry, you will know why the oceans are getting more acidic because of carbon dioxide buildup in the atmosphere and how that increasing acidity is affecting the chemicals in the ocean that sea life uses to build their shells. Whoa, chemistry really helps us know so much. And we just talked last time about the problem of acidity in aquatic ecosystems. Now, can I ask how your research helps to fight climate change and air pollution? Well, thanks for asking me that. Solving climate change and air pollution require data from experiments in the lab and the field and the use of powerful and super fast computers. So in my lab, we study reactions that we suspect could happen in the atmosphere and we provide data on how fast these reactions go and how they could affect atmospheric temperature. Oh, that sounds so interesting. Okay, one last question for you. I usually ask my interviewees what their favorite animal is, but since you're a chemist, I'm kind of curious to know what your favorite atom or molecule or chemical reaction is. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a lovely question. I think my favorite reaction is photosynthesis. How trees take up CO2, water, and use light from the sun to make oxygen and sugars. This reaction is opposite to what we do when we burn stuff to get energy to fuel our economy. So plants do what we do, but in reverse? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Professor, thank you so much for speaking to me. This was a great interview. I think you could say that the two of us had a lot of chemistry. <laughs> I agree. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was so cool. If I wasn't a wildlife researcher already, I'm pretty sure that I would have been a chemist. I hope you enjoyed Emma's Chemistry Corner. If you have more questions about chemistry, you can leave us a message at www.earthrangers.com slash podcast, or you can email us at podcast at earthrangers.com. I would love to hear your questions, and hopefully I can answer them in a future episode. Well, listeners... I hope you had fun learning about chemistry and doing the at-home experiments with me. Now that we've finished our workshop, you are ready to start your journey as environmental scientists. Well, I'll see all of you next year when we announce the winner of the Animal Encounter Contest. I am already so excited for some brand new animal adventures in 2021. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay awesome, stay warm, and keep on ranging! Hello, parents, homeschoolers, and teachers. Trusty Narrator here from the Who Smarted Podcast. Our 15-minute episodes are perfect for car rides, bedtime, break time, class time, or any time. We make learning science and history fun and funny for 7 to 11-year-olds with new episodes every week. Look for Who Smarted on any podcast platform or at whosmarted.com. And teachers get a free subscription to our ad-free version by clicking educators at whosmarted.com. Hey, animal lovers. Earth Ranger Emma here to tell you about my favorite app, the Earth Rangers app. By signing up for a free membership, you can access tons of fun content like daily animal trivia, puzzles, top 10 lists, and my podcast, of course. In the app, you can send me notes by commenting on the episode pages. I just love hearing from you. 
You can also complete environmental missions, do eco-friendly crafts, and help protect animals. And if you use the code Emma in the code vault, you'll earn 25 bonus points to help you level up. Download today, and I'll see you in the app.